Galatians, the sixth chapter and the ninth verse, uh, may be a familiar verse to some people, but I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating verse to me because we know the promises of God are for now. But this talks about walking it out, really, or getting into some of it. It says this, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You ever heard that before? So, but we can hear more in there, right? Because how many of you know God's words are like the bread that was multiplied you know, when Jesus prayed over the bread, all of a sudden it, it, it fed thousands of people, it multiplied. And so this is the bread that came from heaven, the words of God, and it can multiply for us. So this doing good or right will pay off at some point in your life if you do what it says here. Now, here's what you need to know. If you're a believer and you've given your life to the Lord, it is your very nature spiritually, to do good, to, to love. You were created new. You were created with goodness in you. You were created with self-control. You were created with God's life in you because the Bible said we were made a new creation in Christ. Now, that's not mental. That's not physical. So you may have new, new, uh, a new spirit, but old thoughts, and that's why we have to be disciplined with our mind because it may go, well, I don't feel like it because we've been in science classes since elementary school and they teach you science has to do with the observation and what you can touch and what you can feel. And when it comes down to God, much of it has to do with revelation and stuff being picked up in your spirit the part of you that was made new. And so that being said, he said if we'll walk in these things, these giftings, these abilities, this new life we have, this self-control, this love, this joy, this peace, he said it eventually at some point will pay off in your life. It will pay off. But he made some interesting statements. Notice this. He said, let us not grow weary. Notice that phrase, grow weary. Grow weary. And then he said, don't or do not grow. So you think about that. Growing, we know, is a process from going from one place to another. You know, you ever look at little kids and you go, wow, that kids have just grown up, it seems like, overnight. It, they didn't grow up overnight. Did they? No, it was a process. You know, you plant a tree or a bush, and then all of a sudden you look and say, that thing's grown up. It just grew up overnight. It didn't grow up overnight, but it grew. And he said here, don't grow weary. So when people get weary, they don't start fully weary. They grow weary. You start probably really good. How many people at some point in their life went, man, I'm ready to go with God? Nothing will ever hold me back. Slow me down. Stop me. Well, where have you been the last three weeks? You know, I say that jokingly. 
because who knows, maybe you've been here. But you know what I mean. We started out going, hey, where did that come from? It grew. It grew. And what's interesting, he said, he said, do not. He said, don't. That's a command. It doesn't say God will stop you from growing weary. It's a commandment that's left in your hands. That's real interesting. So basically, he said the decision for growing weary rests in your hands. Not in your spouse's. Not in your neighbor, not in the world getting bad, and it's getting bad. We knew it was. God warned us. He, he said, doesn't rest in their hands. Doesn't matter how people treat you, it doesn't rest in their hands. He said, you do not grow weary. Don't come to the point. He said, don't do that. And so if it's a command, then it's a decision to not. And then, the way God is saying it here, it's ultimately under your control where you end up. Whether you grow weary or just start off, you know, because if you're out exercising and you keep pushing it, you're going to maybe grow weary eventually. But if you just slow down a little bit and pace yourself, you'd be less apt to grow weary, Right? And I'm not saying to slow down, but we can do things in our physical body. But the fact of the matter here is, he has thrown it in your lap. And you know, sometimes you see some people who are doing so good, they're gone. They grew weary and all of a sudden they, they lost their heart, their will, and away they went. But it was a process. It didn't happen overnight. And what's so cool is when God said, do not, he basically said, you don't have to. It's your decision. But if I don't choose to address this growing weary part and don't know what it looks like to grow weary, or the things that do come that would cause me to grow weary. Because they can come in different colors and different shades. I could unknowingly start submitting to things that would allow me or cause me to start growing in this process. The things that are spiritual, though they are known in your spirit, many things get cultivated in the mind. They come through thoughts, ideas, suggestions. These are really attacks. And they can seem so justified. Like Adam and Eve. Go ahead and do it. God doesn't want you to do it. It'll make you like him. You'll be wise. And they looked and they observed, and according to their observation, it looked, looked good to do this, so they did it. And then they ate the fruit, and they ended up somewhere. But here's what I want to look at, is thoughts, ideas, suggestions come to all people. 
And what do they look like? Well, you know, it'd just be better to, to stop. Nobody notices you. Nobody cares about you. Who told you that? Who's talking to you? Remember Back to the Future? When that guy got the guy in the head and like hits him and goes, McFly, you listening? You know, or whatever. Who's talking to you? That ain't God. And so he'll just say, well, you have no value. And it'll come as a subtle thought. And it'll just seem freestanding. But if something's trying to get you to quit, know the source. Didn't we talk about that last week? In other words, no one cares, no one will miss you. Or this, everybody else is doing it now, you should just go ahead and do it too. Or what does it matter just to do it once? You can always recover yourself, just do it once and go on. How many people have started? I, I sat behind somebody in a line you know, at a grocery store, and the clerk and the person were talking about uh, their overcoming this addiction of cigarettes. And they're like, well, how did you start? And how did you start? Neither one of them started going, you know, I think I'm just going to get addicted to cigarettes and spend a bunch of money to fill my lungs with smoke and get them jacked up full of tar and then spend extra money every day, several dollars every day throughout the week, uh, throughout the month, throughout the years, and that it'll affect how I taste and it'll do everything. And I could go be a fireman and walk in all the smoke I want and not even have to pay. They'd pay me for that. But here I'm paying. They didn't think that. But the thought came. And they thought, well, I can deal with it later. Where is that thought coming from? Let me ask you this. Is it coming from God? And so we need to recognize thoughts, ideas, suggestions come. Is it worth it to just continue? It's probably not even worth it. What's it going to matter? Just quit. You know, I've told this story. I don't tell it often because I think it has a lot of implications and people will get the wrong idea, but it's still true. I was at, a, a, well, I just won't go there. But let me just say this, I, I, you know. Let me say this, thoughts, ideas, suggestions come, and sometimes people don't even recognize that it's actually the enemy, and he's trying to get a foothold in people's lives to get them to quit doing the good that they are established in. It's okay to take a couple weeks off. It's okay to do this. <clears throat> What's he doing? I didn't say it was God. Getting you in the practice of being able to do it again and again and again. What's his ultimate goal? To get you to grow weary and to adopt thoughts that would cause you to become weary. And so if he said don't grow weary, because if you do, you'll come to the place where you could lose heart and ultimately quit. Quitting is a personal decision. But when somebody's real strong in an area, they're not going to quit regardless. Have you ever seen some people last longer than others in certain areas, and they're like, I ain't quitting this, I ain't quitting this, 
and somebody, you know, maybe going to the gym eventually, they were entertaining things. Is it worth it? This ain't fun. On they go, and then they're growing weary. They're growing to the place where they're gonna, it's going to be easy to make a decision. And he said, don't grow. Isn't that interesting? Because when you think of growing, what do you think of? I'm thinking things don't grow unless they're watered. First, the seed is planted. Then it gets watered. Then it gets watered some more. It's cultivated. And then all of a sudden, it grows and gets bigger. So my thought is, is if, if it takes something to grow something, what is the source that's feeding that growth? And if he said, you have a place in this, then we got to know that the main source is going to be opposition thoughts. And why would the enemy want you to stop doing good? There, there's many reasons. Why would he want you to stop doing good? Why would he want you to quit? Because he'll say, well, your part doesn't matter, but he could be working on 10 other parts. Or 15 other parts. And you add up 15 parts and all of a sudden it starts turning into something. But every single part matters to God and to his kingdom. And so understand this. If you grow in these things, you're already starting to adopt thoughts that are inappropriate. And we have to be aware. And you know, there are some people who want the payoff without the planting of the good and staying with the good. Sometimes these people, you know, because he said, don't grow weary while doing good. So he said, don't grow weary. That's a decision. And he talked about an ultimate harvest that would come. Some people so don't know this principle that really good Christians will raise their fist at God and say, you got to do this good thing in my life. What's your problem not having this good thing in my life and doing this in my life? And you ever heard, heard about somebody like that? I know it wouldn't be anybody here because we're so taught in the Word. None of us would shake our fist at God. Somebody's like, I know better than shake my fist. I just say it. You know, come on, God, you got to come through. How come this isn't happening, and what's the problem? But if you look at the overall of the story, you recognize, because if you go back into the fifth chapter, he talks about fruit. And he stays with the same thought of cultivating and having certain fruit coming. And here he's talking about a harvest and a reaping. Same kind of terms. Well, if a farmer acted like a Christian and said, God, this ground better produce. I'm telling you, if it doesn't, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to like you. And on and on he could go. But us who know who are more intelligent than the farmer would recognize if that is all he's doing, 
Is he going to get a good harvest even if he shakes his fist at God? No. No. Why? Because the Lord said he'd bless what you, you set your hand to. And so we know the Bible said first the seed goes in the ground, then the blade pops up, then the, you know, the ear comes in it, then the full ear in the corn shows a progress of growth. So that farmer can't just say, God, this ground better produce something. How many people have said that? But somehow God talked about you planting, you being in control, you doing certain things that produce a harvest. And so if that's the case, we would totally expect that that farmer, if he planted whatever seeds in that soil and he watered them and stayed with them, sure he could pray. Lord, bless me with rain, watch over these things, keep bugs and stuff from it, and, you know, we curse these bugs so they don't take over stuff, and whatever it is that it doesn't devour, we would think that's right, wouldn't we? If he planted and did that, and talked to God in it, we would never think that if he just prayed, he would receive a harvest. Does anybody believe that? Any, any hands? Okay. If not, we need to go back to farming 101, but it looks like everybody's got this. You don't plant, you don't watch over it, you ain't reaping anything. And how many people have shook their hand at God and said, what is your problem? It ain't his problem. And what's so interesting is when God, and we have to remember this, it's not his problem. You're probably, well, let's not just say that. It's usually us. But that being said, one thing we do need to remember, if he gave us instructions about not growing weary while doing good, for in due season you will reap, and talked about some kind of harvest coming to us, then by virtue of him telling us what not to do and what to do, then it tells us right there, his will for your life is to harvest good stuff. At some place, and probably multiple times, I believe I could confidently say that, reaping again and again and again good stuff. You know, people can't have sex outside of marriage and think, well, eventually I won't reap. You can. You, you know what I mean? In other words, if you plant seeds, I knew that was to help people. But God gave us instructions and he said, listen, if you want to reap something, good, here's how you do it. And so that means by virtue of him telling us, he wants it for us. Because God's not a liar. And he's not telling you to do something and how to do it if he doesn't want it for you. Would you agree? 
I mean, if, if he gave instructions on how to get saved for whosoever would call, then it's because he ultimately wants whosoever to call and then get saved. Right? The instructions imply permission or blessing with it, that he's endorsing it. So let's go back and look at Galatians 6 again and look at another part of this because it's important. He said, let us not grow weary while doing good. Grow weary. But notice he targets it. He didn't just say, don't grow weary. How many people grow weary? People grow weary all the time. But he didn't just say, don't grow weary. Because people do. They, get, they grow weary in different things. You know? But he didn't say, you know, you could be watching a program on TV and grow weary. You can grow weary at different things. But notice he targets the area he doesn't want you to grow weary. And he said it's while doing good. Why? Why did he say that? While doing good. Don't grow weary while doing good. Because understand this, the good that you are doing, and there are many things, but those meaning that, that are defined as good works from God and that we're all called to do as believers, but those good deeds you're doing are actually the seeds and the watering to your harvest. That when you stop doing them, they stop the cycle. Right? Didn't Jesus say it like this? But seek first the kingdom of God. That is a process of life of keeping Him first. Then all these things would be added to you. In other words, if I do this and keep the right order, this is going to happen. It kind of sounds like the same thing. Doesn't it? But He gives you a little bit extra here because He's saying, if He said, don't grow weary then let me say this, there will be opportunity and it is not unique from one person to another. Every believer is going to face it. Paul had to face it. Jesus had to face it. You with me? And so, that being said, if it's a choice, there's something we need to do as individuals. And right here he said, while doing good. He didn't just say, don't grow weary, period. But he targets the area good because these are the seeds that bring harvest in your life. And so he doesn't want us to grow. In other words, get further along in our thinking of giving up. Because what I stay with, I reap. Notice, not just what you start in, good or bad, but what you stay with, you reap from. So there's 
opportunities to get out of doing good, and there's opportunities of getting out of doing bad. You with me? Notice this verse. It's, it's real interesting. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. This is a group of people in this 11th chapter that have been told, or we are told about, and we're told that these guys lived this faith life, they followed after the Lord, and they reaped stuff. But it gives us some detail about one of them. It says this in the 11th chapter in the 24th verse. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, in other words, when he got old enough to choose for himself, not just not directed to do things. Parents should train children on how to make good decisions and start giving them freedoms in making decisions. Make things clear to them so they can enjoy life. And they can move around and have enjoyment in areas of life. But what's interesting here is he said, by faith, and how does faith come? By hearing. Hearing what? Hearing God. Hearing God's word. And so by faith, it says, that Moses, when he became of age. So what does it mean? When he got to the age where he could make his own decisions. In other words, he now is responsible for himself. Right? Growing weary. A personal responsibility. Here, it says Moses grew up, and we knew he grew up in Pharaoh's house. He grew up and was trained a certain way. And he had an opportunity to go down a certain path. It would have been his privilege to do it. But notice this, it says, by faith, when he, was, uh, when he became of age, he refused. He made a choice. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing. He refused and chose. And sometimes if you're going to choose something, you may have to refuse something. You may have to refuse some friends to choose what's right. Refuse certain habits to choose what is right. And he said here... Uh, he was choosing rather. Notice that 25th verse. Choosing rather. It says, remember, he refused to be called the son or child of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather. So instead of choosing one thing, he made a choice for this. They were both presented to him. One was an easy course. One had pleasures that would pay off immediately, living in the Pharaoh's courts. To choose that, but instead he rather choose, chose something else. And it didn't immediately pay off. It didn't. We know the story about Moses. But notice how he did God's will in his life. 
He came to a choice when he became of a personal age of accountability that he was going to make a choice. He had to choose, am I going to keep going on down the path I've been going because I've been trained this way, this way I'm going to go, or am I going to choose this other thing? Notice he refused, and his refusing of one thing was a choice. Then his accepting of another thing to go down this path was also a choice. And it says, choosing, verse 25, rather, to suffer affliction. Wait a minute, what was he choosing? To suffer affliction. He chose by virtue of deciding to follow God, follow God's plan, he was going to enter into tests and trials. You ever read that verse where it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all? Don't think if you're going to follow the Lord, you're not going to have opportunities to grow weary. But you can't just look at the present. And you don't have to grow weaker and weaker day after day like we talked about. You can cut things off. And you can actually get stronger and drive some of that off. Notice this. Choosing rather, verse 25 of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, to suffer affliction with the people of God. In other words... Hey, if you want to join us, it'll be awesome. Oh, yeah, and you'll have a few tests and trials along the way. So he's like, you know, when I started, nobody uh, told me about that. Well, now we are, and you're already on, so woo But notice this. Why did he refuse the one and not choose and then choose another, knowing that what he was choosing was going to cause for tests and trials in his own life to walk with God and to walk with the people of God. Why would you even think of choosing such a thing? Remember our verse that we started about an ultimate harvest in this life and after that you get to reap? Notice this. He esteeming the reproach of Christ. Let's go back to verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So what did he pass up? There was a lot of sin in Egypt. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to stop fooling around with my life. I can have all the ladies, I can have all the food and the drink and everything I want. I can live in these courts and I can go down this or I can go with God. And I'm going to go with God and it was a choice. So he had to refuse the one. He just didn't say, okay, I'm not going to do that. He had to refuse it and choose no and then choose this. And then he said to choose this would bring affliction, would bring tests and trials. But at the same time, notice what he said. He called those things passing pleasures of sin. Well, we understand that some translations say it's only 
pleasurable for a season, then there's a reaping. Doesn't that sound like our other verse, but there's a reaping of good? When we stay with the good? Well, he recognized there's going to be a reaping in life. I stay on this path, it's going to just bear bad stuff. But I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to walk with God's people. And what's it going to do for me? Notice this. Choosing, verse 25, rather to suffer affliction or to enter into some tests and trials, knowing that living this life could bring some my way with the people of God, so I'm not alone. This is common everywhere in the world for the people of God. Well, if I go to this other church, no, everywhere. To enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Notice verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. So he brings it right down to this about the Savior. He esteemed the reproach. In other words, there's going to be stuff that's going to come against me. But he measured it. And he said, greater riches, even if people talk about me, even if stuff comes against me, it's greater to serve the Lord. It's greater to go down God's path than the treasures in Egypt. But then look at the next part. He talks about a harvest. He said, for he looked to the reward. He didn't look at the problem. He looked at the reward. And you know what happens to many people when they grow weary? They stop looking at the reward of the path that they're on that these good seeds will ultimately produce. Here's some other translations. One says this, he was looking ahead anticipating a payoff. He recognized, yeah, there's tests and trials, there's stuff that's coming, but if I stay with this good, and it's a choice because it says it, then ultimately there's going to be a payoff. Man, how many would have loved to have been there and been the dude to lift up that cane and see the Red Sea open? Some believers want to see a miracle, but you're not going to maybe see it just in Egypt. There's some when you start choosing. Didn't he see multiple ones? He got to go in front of the king, and he got to say, hey, you got to let my people go. God had not demonstrated himself. God had not done anything, had not revealed himself to Pharaoh. But now he's choosing and he's made some decisions. And all of a sudden now God starts getting revealed in him to a whole nation. Because he chose something that was right. And he persevered. And he stayed with it and the fruit started coming. And that wasn't the only fruit. I mean, you know... Him going through the Red Sea, he got to see that. He would have never seen it if he would not have chose to, to follow the Lord and the afflictions that would come. He would have never seen the river turn to blood. He would have never seen the locusts come in. He would have never seen the firstborn of the enemy destroyed. He would have never seen the military, a mighty army, get swallowed up in the sea if he wouldn't have made that choice to follow because he wouldn't have been in the position to lift his rod. And then everybody else got to see it and go, wow, I bet they were all glad he chose. Wonder how many people out there will either see or not see something through an individual's life based upon decisions that they make.
Maybe there's a lot of Red Seas that need to be opened, and you are the designated driver. And God says, don't grow weary. And you say, well, what's the point? Because you're looking right now, not at the other. When, when the people needed a miracle, Moses prayed and said, all right, God, you got to do something. Okay, we'll give manna. We'll cause water. We'll cause quail to come. I mean, just thing, they needed healing. He was right there with God making, making all this happen with God, but it all started with the choice. But he saw the payoff. Then eventually he lived in the payoff. Here's another translation. It says he didn't look at the immediate, but at the ultimate. Many people look at the immediate and they think, this is hard. We already know that it's going to be tests and trials. Look at the ultimate. It will pay. And it'll pay, maybe not on the day you think, but it will pay. Let's close right here in Second Peter, the third chapter. So if he said, don't grow weary, it's a choice that you have to make for yourself. You can't make this for somebody else. You can encourage people, but you can't make it but for you. But you can pray for people and believe God, and He'll influence them to stand and to stay with these choices. But it does come down to individuals. And it's so awesome that He told us this. I mean, I don't know about you, but if He could show us what he really wanted, we'd probably go, man, we need to stick with this. But he does show us some things, but not everything. But I know this, even in the hard times, people forget. People forget. Think, do I choose another way? Remember John the Baptist? What happened with him? He had seen the Spirit of God literally descend upon a man named Jesus. He baptized them. The Lord had already said, when you see this occur, this is the Savior, this is the Lamb of God. Well, then obviously, John the Baptist, his trials and tests in that area are over. He would never give up. It's not true. He got thrown into prison for making a stand, for doing what's right. He was under the gun. He called some of his disciples and he said, go ask Jesus these questions for me. What was the question he asked? Are you the one? Are you the one? Or is there one coming after? Man, he's right in the middle of the heat. And he's asking a question. And he literally had a command from God that said, when you see the Spirit come down upon and then abide, he's the one. And he declared it to everybody, and now he's questioning in a hard time. But what's the payoff? The payoff for continuing is great. You with me? Notice this in Second Peter, the third chapter. And we will begin reading here. In the ninth verse, the Lord, who? The Lord. 
is not. So if it says he's not, he's not ever. It's not. If it says he will not lie and cannot lie, then he won't. So that means he'll tell the truth. So this has to be the truth. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, or slackness. That's a huge statement. Because how many of us count certain things slack? If you didn't get your payday on Friday, and that's your designated day, you'd call your boss slack, lazy about it, not all over it. And, and he said, we can count men slack. But he said, he's not slack like they are. Though some people look and say, well, where's the payday? Remember the farmer? Hey! Where are the seeds? Where is the continuing? When is the due season? Your due season could be right now. Your due season could be tomorrow. But your due season will come. You just have to look to the ultimate payoff. And so right here, what did he say? He said, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. He's not like the world, the way most people consider slackness. He's not like that. In other words, he's not going to let you down. But there's a motive behind how you get some things and why he and how his promise works. Notice this here. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, this area is about his return and his coming. He's waiting. He's wanting those people to get saved. So he's long-suffering. And he just doesn't come because me and you are saved. Right? But the interesting thing is, he's not slack like men count slackness and men consider things. In other words, you can't just go, well, I've been doing this for three weeks. It's Friday. I should get the payday today. No. I mean, just like a farmer, he knows it's coming. He knows it's working. It may be this week that it starts sprouting, and it may be next week. But you can't say, well, it's Tuesday, it didn't happen, it won't happen, I'm done. No, he'll stay with it because he knows there's a lot of variables. And it could be two weeks later that it starts this year sprouting than last year. But the fact of the matter is, if I continue on, it's going to sprout, it's going to grow, and God is not slack concerning his promise. It will absolutely happen. And that's why he said, listen, guys, don't grow weary while doing good. It will pay off. The first day I started this church, I tell people we had 20 people. The next week, we had about three. Bobby was there. It was her first week. She was one in this other couple. I think there might have been one or two others, actually. It, it dropped off from there. And um, 
But the first week we had a bunch of people from California that, that came because I moved here and they helped set stuff up because I was like, how do you hand an offering basket? How do you turn on this and the sound? And how do you do, and do I sing? Praise the Lord, okay, let's run and change the slide. Go back and take up the offering, hand this, greet the people at the door. I mean, I was like a one-man band. And I didn't have a lot of instruments and I just thought, it's going to happen and I remember leaving, and we had like 20 people, and, you know, more than 10 of them left and went back to California. I still remember exactly where I was driving to my home in Gold Canyon. I went up over this hill, started going down this hill after the first week. I had been waiting for this. God had been leading me this way, directing me to do this for three and a half years. This was more years than that in the training. I was 17 years at one church serving as a youth pastor, an assistant pastor. I was in Bible school before then. I was doing other stuff before then. So this is 20-something years in the working, which, you know, it just happened overnight. No, it didn't. But you can't grow weary. You got to continue on. And I remember driving up over the hill, and it was like a cloud came over me, and just like a pressure came against me. It was super real. And it was almost like my own thoughts. But I recognized. And it was like gloom attached with it. And, and these thoughts came real clear. I know who it was. You, you should just quit. Look who came. You should just quit. And it kind of made me go, oh. And I said, and it was discouragement. And I'm not like a real discouraged person. I said, you get out of here in Jesus' name. And like a few seconds, it might have seemed longer, all of a sudden just the discouragement just left. And I went driving down the road, and I had no more discouragement about the church. And about a week or two later, the same thing happened. I said, you get out of here in Jesus' name. A couple things, ha happened, a couple things happened to me that day. One, I recognized discouragement is very real and can be driven off. And it was really the devil. And I didn't know it. And when I let that be there, it just made me gloomy. And when I made it leave, the gloom left. And I went, glory to God. And then people probably thought, you're so dumb, you didn't know better than to quit. You know, you went on with three, four, five people, you know. And then we just started growing little by little. Now it's going faster and faster and faster. But that being said... There is a payday, and I haven't even hit the full payday, but I can see the money counter. You know, I'm not, now, please don't condemn me. He who's without sin casts the first stone. But, you know, if you've ever been to a casino, not to gamble, but to go to the buffet, you walk through, and you see that money thing going ching, 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 and, and you just see, what does it show you? Like 32 million. You're like, where is that? one-armed bandit. I could get $30 million for a dollar, and it's just counting. What's it doing? It's telling you there's a payday for the person who hits it. And we should not be just looking at life. I know this. Our payday is happening and coming, and the numbers keep getting greater, and God ultimately knows, and it's the same with your life, so don't quit. Don't allow yourself. Don't allow it. You, you could quit before you get a payday. How would you like to work 
for a company, you know, because there are some people who can work for a company for quite a long time, months sometimes, and not get a payday, and they wait for a contract to mature, and then they get the payday, and it can be substantial. What if you said, well, I'm done? Hey, this is way bigger. You get an eternal side, and you get a present side, but you've got to do like he said, and look to the ultimate payoff so you don't quit.